Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The loudest, the biggest, the brashest. New York is its own character in every play. The bad thing about New York is the pressure. You're always under pressure. Here are the stories about those plays. It's New York Accent with Damon Amendolaro. I want you to do one thing for me. When you see the guys, tell them I love them. And he went upstairs and he passed away. I know for a fact, Damon, he would have never said that. (laughs) He would have never said that. Can you follow all of the New York ties to Ken Singleton, the three-time Major League Baseball All-Star, who also won a World Series ring with the Orioles in 83, was born in New York City, grew up in Mount Vernon, played youth baseball across the street from Yankee Stadium, attended Hofstra, and was drafted by the Mets, then became family friends with the Steinbrenners during his playing days in Baltimore, and then after his playing days, spent 25 seasons calling Yankee games between PIX and yes. The Bombers have been one of the most disappointing teams in baseball, so Ken stops by to discuss what went wrong, how stickball helped launch his Major League Baseball career, check out the grocery store roof, and why a family friend helped forge a friendship with the boss. Plus, he's got tons of great Earl Weaver stories. This is Ken Singleton's New York Accent. David, I'm doing fine. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining us. Boy, I'd love to to start with something on a high note, but the Yankees and what has yeah. happened to the Yankees have been such getting kind of getting worse and worse. And on Sunday night, blowing that big lead of the ninth inning, is that as low as it can go for the Bombers this season? Well, they're they're in a tough stretch for sure. Hopefully, um, you know they still have some time to turn it around. But once you get behind what five five games in the wild card, and they have other teams in front of them. So not every those teams aren't going to lose every day. Some of them are going to win. So it makes it even more difficult to uh, to catch up. Uh, I, I, in all the years that I was with the Yankees, I mean, 25 years, I don't think I was ever in a situation like this. Uh, I think uh, we had 25 years of winning baseball and also uh, 22 playoff appearances. So I, it, it's very strange for me to see them in a situation like this. Um, I know there's a lot of pressure on them. There's always pressure on the Yankees. Uh, Damon, I've always mentioned over the years that they not only play against other teams, they kind of play against their own history. And uh, once you won the World Series 27 times, you know, that's what Yankee fans expect. They expect you to not be just a good team or a playoff team. They expect you to, to, you know, at least get to the World Series, if not win it. I really like that that take that sometimes they play against their their own history. Yeah. Do you feel like that's happening this year where there's maybe a tightening or a tension because they haven't been 
the team that they maybe expected to be early in the season? Well, I think that's part of it. I, I think injuries, of course, uh, with any team that is going to have some, but I think they've had some. When Judge went out, I mean, I think they were 31-19 and 19 when he was playing, and they're under 500 when he doesn't, and he missed 40 games. So right away, that puts you uh, puts you almost at a 500 level or barely just above it. And you're going to have to get 10, 15 games over to even think about getting to the playoffs. And right now, they're they're just not playing well enough. Their uh, pitching staff has been decimated by injuries. I mean, the only solid pitcher this year in the starting rotation has been Garrett Cole. I know Clark Schmidt has been pitching pretty well lately, but even he got off to a slow start. And then you throw in Severino, whose confidence just seems to be shot. Rodon is injured again. Uh, it's just it's not the same in a rotation, and uh, I, I think all the Yankee teams that I was part of or, or broadcast for their, their rotation was one of the strong parts of the team. What do you make of the criticism of Aaron Boone? Do you find it fair? Um, you have to remember, here's a guy in his first few years. The Yankees won 100 games just about every year. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's fair. I do think that over a period of time. Managers have to develop a different message to the team or a different way of getting their point across as to how to win games. Now, I'm not saying his, his, um, his, his presence on the team or his message has kind of gone south, but maybe the players have heard it too often and he's going to have to change things to get them going. I, I, I don't know what that could be, uh, but uh, right now it just doesn't seem to be resonating with the team. And, I, uh, you know, I've seen – just too many mistakes on the field. How many Yankees have we seen thrown out at third base on ground balls at shortstop this year? Or, you know, trying to take the extra base when it wasn't warranted. I, I just think that uh, those are the things, when you're playing tight games, those are the things that come back to haunt you. That one little thing in a game can turn a, turn a tight game around. Now, if you're going to score 10 runs a game, uh, you should be okay. I mean, your pitcher should be able to hold them to at least six, right? But the Yankees aren't scoring 10 runs a game. And in particular, when Judge hasn't played, they're just their offense seems to be stagnant this year. It's amazing to think about how long it's been since they've had a losing season. 1992 was yeah. the last time they were under 500. So there's this amazing streak continuity of winning. Mm -hmm. And yet they have not been to a World Series since 2009. So some people will say, well, look, Brian Cashman always gets to the playoffs. So you can't argue with that. Others will say, well, in Yankee land, as you just noted it, you know, just having a winning season is not enough. You got to get to World Series. Which side of the divide do you fall on when it comes to Cashman in this kind of run of good, but maybe not great since 09? Yeah, I, I think uh, at this in this day and age, it's a little more difficult to navigate yourself into the World Series. Uh, last year, we saw the Philadelphia Phillies. They were the last ones into the playoffs, but they did make it to the World Series and, the, you know, almost won it. But the, the, the fact is that it, it's more difficult now to get yourself to the World Series because there's extra layers of playoffs involved. Um, you know, when I was playing years ago, well, unfortunately there was no wild card, but if you won the division, you automatically were in the championship series. And if you won that, you go to the World Series. Now, you know, the division series, then the ALCS, and then possibly the World Series if you get that far. It, it's Also, you have a play-in game. So that, that's, that's another layer of playoffs. Now, I know it keeps fans interested throughout baseball going into September. Uh, if Even if you're five, six, seven games behind, you can still get to the wild card and, and play in the playoffs. Now, uh, that wasn't the case when I was playing. Uh, 
yeah, you know, you had to win the division. But I, I just think now the Yankees have gotten themselves to a point where they they got into the championship series, but they just couldn't get by the Houston Astros for one reason or another. See, I was split on this. You won the World Series with the Orioles in 1983. At that time, if you win the American League East, you're in the ALCS. Yeah. And there is certainly kind of a validation of the season. If you're good enough to win the division, you're automatically one round away from the World Series. So, yeah. you know, you've had a great year. Mm-hmm. And the flip side is it shuts out a lot of good teams without a wild card. But today, yeah. the Phillies get in or anybody else can have 89 wins and find themselves in the World Series. So... Which do you prefer, the old way with two divisions and that puts you in the in the LCS or the way that it is now where the door is wide open? Uh, Damon, I think I prefer now because it keeps more fans interested. I, I wish there was the wild card situation when I was playing because uh, in the American League East, we know it's a difficult division. And it was back then, too. You're talking, you know, 40, 45 years ago. But I played 10 years for the Orioles. We finished second six times. So... Wow. so I, I would have gone for the wild card. Uh, we got to the World Series twice. We won the division twice, but that was your only route. Uh, we had one year we won 100 games and went home um, because the Yankees won 103. So I, I just think that uh, I, I wish there was a wild card. And I, I prefer now, to be honest with you, because it does keep keeps more fans, even casual fans, more interested in what their teams are doing if there's a wild card situation and they know they can make the playoffs. Did uh, way back in May and April last year or early June, did Philadelphia Philly fans last year think they had a chance? Probably not. You know, probably not. But they did. Uh, they rallied late in the season under Rob Thompson when he came in, took over the club, and then they eventually made it to the World Series. So there is that hope just to, just to get in. I mean, they were the eighth team to get in, and that they did get to the World Series. So I think I would prefer now. I, I would almost guarantee you if we had it back then, you know, being the type of team we were, we would have made it to the World Series you know, at least some of those uh, times when we finished second. Do you think that this Yankees lineup has been overly Aaron Judge reliant? Ooh, uh, that's a good question. Uh, anytime you have an MVP in your lineup, you're, you're going to rely on him. You know, and, the, and I mentioned the fact that he missed over 40 games this year, so he wasn't there. Um, it does help to have other guys to pick up the pace if he's not playing or if he's not playing well at the time. But the Yankees have had, had that. They've had guys who've been very inconsistent this year. It seems as though Stan is re- either really hot or really cold. Um, LeMayu has not had the year he would like. Uh, some of the other players just haven't performed up to their abilities as well. I think Labor Torres is having a decent year. But even he, I think, could be, has played better in the past. So I just don't think the Yankee offense has been what they thought it would be at the beginning of the year. Uh, I know Sean Casey is a new hitting coach. Uh, I, I, and, he, you know, they, it doesn't seem to me that they're they're out of the woods yet as far as offense is concerned. And uh, if, if you only have one consistent starter like Garrett Cole, or, I'll throw in Clark Schmidt. He's been pitching pretty well. But this is not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it at all. You had the distinct um... – experience of having played within the American League East at Old Yankee Stadium back in the late 70s when they became great again and then broadcasting games at the old stadium as well when they you know went through their their winning ways as well what was it like as both a player and a broadcaster 
those October nights or late September nights when there's a pennant race or there's playoffs on the horizon at the old uh, the old Yankee Stadium in the Bronx? I, I just think uh, any stadium you want to be in, if you're in a playoff situation and you've got a good team, it brings energy to the stadium. Uh, the crowds were there. Uh, they anticipate a win for the home ball club being the Yankees. Um, that it was the same thing in Baltimore when I was playing in Baltimore or even coming into Yankee stadium back in the day, the energy was there. Uh, the energy for us was there too, because we were c- contenders along with the Yankees. Uh, I, I just think that, um, whether it's the old Yankee stadium or the new Yankee stadium, uh, we, we saw the Yankees win the world series the first year in the new Yankee stadium. So it, it can be done, even though it hasn't been done since. I, I, I just think that, uh, uh, the energy level, I, I haven't quite seen it on team because there's been too much inconsistency this year. I think the fans are somewhat disgruntled with what's going on with the team. I know that they seem to be on uh, Cashman's case. They seem to be on Al Steinberger's case. Uh, I, I just think that they realize 2009 has been a while ago. And, then, uh, it, and it seems like an eternity as far as the Yankee fans are concerned. Growing up in New York in the 50s, you had the Dodgers, the Giants, the Yankees, and everybody in the city had to choose a side, draw the line of the sand, or in this case, the sidewalk, and that was your territory. So who was your team? Who was your player growing up? Okay. Uh, that, that's a very good question, Damon, because it, it kind of – my dad was a Dodger fan uh, because of Jackie Robinson and the Dodgers. Um, I kind of gravitated towards the Giants – because I was a Willie Mays fan. He, he, he's, he's my all-time favorite player. Uh, I just thought he could do anything. Even after the Giants moved to the West Coast of San Francisco, and of course the Dodgers went to L.A., I, um, in those days it wasn't like it is now. You can watch any game anytime, anywhere. If you want to stay up late and watch a West Coast game, you can do it. I can remember as a kid, I used to have to get the afternoon paper to find out what happened on the West Coast. Uh, uh the, the late afternoon Daily News or the late afternoon uh, Mount Vernon Daily Argus would have the box scores from the night before. Nice. And, uh, of course, the first guy I would check was Willie Mays to see what he did. He usually played very well. Uh, but, uh, you know, nowadays, if I feel like staying up late and watch the Yankees on the West Coast tonight, or uh, they're in Atlanta tonight, or staying up watch the Orioles on the West Coast, I can do it. You know, that, that, it's just modern technology is a wonderful thing. Did you ever do the basket catch like Willie? No, uh, you know, I didn't want to attempt that. You know, I was a, a young player as much as, uh, you know, I loved them in Little League and Pony League and all that in Mount Vernon. Um, I was determined to be my own player. And uh, eventually, you know, I was a Little League All-Star and all that sort of thing. And eventually I played in the Bronx Federation League is where uh, I, I felt there was better competition. This is when I was about 16 or 17. And you're playing against guys who have been to the minor leagues and been released and come back. So they've been professionals. And here I am, 16, 17 years old, really holding my own and and being an outstanding player against these guys and really open up the eyes of the scouts in the New York area. How were you at stickball? Yeah, uh, we used to play that all the time at uh, Minneapolis Graham uh, Playground in Mount Vernon. My buddies and I... um, uh, there was an unusual situation. It, it, if you hit the ball across the street up on the rooftops of the uh, uh, supermarket, the pitcher had to go get it. 
So you could, yeah. So I was determined not to give up many home runs to my friends. And to get the ball, you had to go through the apartment building, climb out a window onto the roof, and get the ball. And so it, you know, it was immediately a delay of game if you didn't have any backup, uh, backup tennis balls. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I think one year I hit like 200-something home runs out there. So, yeah, <laughs> my buddies had to go through that apartment building quite a lot. Man, that is great. That is really humiliation when it comes to a pitcher giving up a home run. Not only <laughs> did you give up the home run, now you got to go fetch it by going up an apartment <laughs> building and climbing on top of a grocery store. You kept you kept your own stat, saw more than 200 home runs in one stickball season. Well, it's approximate, but there there was a lot of them. Um, <laughs> I, you know, my my good friends, uh, Joe Williams and Arnie Moskowitz, they, they – um, uh, Let's put it this way. They, they're partially responsible for getting me to the major leagues. Yeah. <laughs> giving up all those home runs. So, uh, and they were my good buddies. And they were Dodger fans. You know, they they were Sandy Kovacs and Drysdale. And like I said, I was Willie Mays and Marischal and, and Juan Marischal and guys like that. So we had a natural rivalry going. New Yorkers tend to wear their heart on their sleeve and, and they tend to be vocal. So are your buddies that help you put in, get into major league baseball, will they take credit for your career? Uh, partially I would okay. think, uh, <laughs> you know, as long as I would leave them tickets, they were happy when, uh, when, when we came to town or when I came up with the Mets, uh, they were happy. Um, now my, my friend Joe, I, I, I still think he's kind of a Dodger fan, but when we talk on the phone, he talks more Mets. Than anything else, so I I think he's graduated to the Mets. Uh, Dodgers are, you know, they're in Los Angeles. I mean, they've been gone for what fifty years or so, <laughs> maybe more than that. They've played more games in L.A. than they played in New York. Yeah. So the team with the Giants out in San Francisco. So I I just think that uh, maybe the the old school Joe Williams is gone. He's now graduated to the Mets. I don't think he could ever root for the Yankees. So, so having been around the Yankees for so long, was yeah. it pretty amazing to meet some of the legends or be around some of of the all time greats? Yeah, it was when they had Old Timers Day. Uh, I, I think uh, a lot of them were amazed that uh, you know I'm doing Yankee games and I never played for the Yankees. <laughs> so, <laughs> but one thing I found out over the years of working for the Yankees uh, that I was George Steinbrenner's favorite visiting player. Really? And it started to add up in a couple of ways, Dave. I mean, number one, when uh, I was in Baltimore, we'd come to New York and play. Uh, when I'd walk out of the dugout, my mom and dad, my aunt and uncle were sitting right next to the Oriole, you know, the visiting dugout. And I knew for a fact my dad didn't pay for those tickets. I, I, I knew for a fact. So I found out that George left them for them, wow. uh, which is very nice of him to do. I also found out over the years that uh, – George and the Yankees tried to trade for me twice from Baltimore, and both times the Orioles said no. Wow. So um, uh, I, I think, um, you know, it, in a way, I, I think the Yankees were the only team I would have left the Orioles for. I was already on a good team. I was already playing with Hall of Fame-type players and a Hall of Fame manager. So I was very happy where I was, and I'm happy I spent the remainder of my career in Baltimore. But when I think about how things were kind of adding up in that direction – uh, after I retired, I ran into the general manager of the Orioles, Orioles Hank Peters, and he said, uh, you know, I would never trade you. And then it started to add up when I found out what the Yankees were up to. And they had called him a couple of times, and both times he said no. So I, I think 
he knew working for the Yankees that might have come up. So, um, uh, you know, I was happy he didn't trade me. You know, I, I got to play with Cal Ripken and Eddie Murray, uh, Brooks Robinson, Jim Palmer, played for Earl Weaver. I mean, just some of the greatest players and managers in the baseball history. And as I said, we were a winning team. My 10 years in Baltimore, we won more games than any other team. Uh, we won over 900 games. So uh, I was happy where I was. I mean, it, it, the whole idea is to have a chance every year, and we certainly did. What do you think it was about either you or your family that George Steinbrenner took such a liking to? Uh, I found out he had met my uncle. Um, uh, that um, I remember leaving Yankee Stadium one night. I believe we had beaten the Yankees that night. And I was walking out to the parking lot. I stayed with my folks when I came to, to New York, uh, up in Mount Vernon. So I didn't stay with the team downtown. And I was walking out to the parking lot. I had my dad's car. And I felt a tap on my shoulder. I turned around. It was George Steinbrenner. And he said, Singleton, it's a good thing I know your dad, uh, know your uncle. And I found that my uncle used to work for Children's Services. And they, you know, serviced underprivileged kids. And they would go to the Yankees and ask them for tickets to bring the underprivileged kids to games and the Yankees would give them tickets and they sit up in the upper deck. You've seen, the, you know, all those kids wearing the same t-shirts and that's what uh, George would do for my uncle's, uh, you know, the services, the children's services. Um, my uncle told me that when he introduced himself to George, George said, are you related to uh, that Ken Singleton? And my uncle said, that's my nephew. And George said, Oh, he and that Eddie Murray guy, they give us a hard time. <laughs> so uh, he knew my uncle, and uh, uh, George was very kind to him to uh, supply the tickets for the underprivileged kids, and um, this is a supply the tickets for my parents and my aunt and uncle to sit next to the Oriole dugout when the Orioles came to town. That was very nice to him. That's a great story. And Ken Singleton's a three-time All-Star World Series champion and a member of the Yankees broadcast team for 25 years. And he's a New Yorker through and through, so he's the perfect subject for a New mm -hmm. York accent. Ken, this is this is so great. We'll have to catch up again because I know you got like a million stories that you can share, and I, I feel like mm -hmm. we've only scratched the surface here. Well, that that's probably true. I mean, I, I think one thing I found out over the years of broadcasting Yankee games Yankee fans were mesmerized by Earl Weaver's stories. I mean, they they had seen him over the years. He and Billy Martin <laughs> going at it. And, of course, they they were both very cantankerous. Earl was, um, I wouldn't say he was fun to play for. He was tough, but he was fair. Uh, he didn't hold a grudge. If he felt uh, you could win a game for him, you were going to play, uh, no matter what you had done the day before. Uh, one thing I see from modern managers, you know, players make mistakes on the field. And nobody corrects them. Uh, you know, they, if you made a mistake on the field, Earl was waiting for you when you walked off the field. And he, he, he would embarrass you in front of everybody so you wouldn't do it again. You know, just uh, so I, I played hard. I tried to make sure he didn't yell at me very often. He got me a couple of times. So, you, know, I had to, you, know, you know, I probably deserved it. Um, um, one time I dropped a fly ball in Chicago, an easy fly ball. Uh, the White Sox didn't score, so I didn't feel so badly about it. But I came back to the dugout, and here he comes. What are you doing out there? I said, Earl, I got no excuse. I dropped the ball. The White Sox didn't even score. He said, that's not the point. He says, you're supposed to catch the ball. I said, I know that, Earl. Don't you realize I don't want to look bad in front of 30,000 fans? He said, well, that's what happened. You, you, you look terrible. 
I, and then, you know, he was about to go off of me a little bit more, and I started to get a little heated myself. And then I reminded him, I said, Earl, I got to hit this inning. And then he thought what was more important. He said, okay, go ahead, go hit. <laughs> and he just he just left me alone. Yeah, he, he, he knew I was capable of, you know, recent fences if, you know, maybe even more so if I was ticked off, you know, so. <laughs> and he, he, what he, a character. Yeah, he, he was, um, I, I, I would, would say he has the best well, I think I've read it, he has the best winning percentage of any manager since World War II. I think 58, 58% of the games the Orioles won. Um, he had five 100 win teams. I was on two of them. Uh, just every day he brought the energy, and that's what he expected from his players. He hated the umpires, they hated him. Uh, I can recall I went to his, uh, his uh, funeral service. And they gave every player a chance to speak. And when I went up there, um, uh, I, I said, I looked around the room. I said, are there any umpires here? And, of course, there were none. And I said, I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, trying to lighten things up um, in, a, you know, in a tough situation. I, I will say this, as tough as he was and uh, giving everybody a hard time when you didn't win, if you lost four in a row, he wasn't a very happy man. Um, he made us all better players and made us all really concentrate on what we were doing. And it, he turned us into winners. And um, uh, I appreciate him. I appreciate him for that. Uh, Damon, I remember the last time I saw him. And um, uh, it was just he and I talking. And he said, Ken, you had a great career. I want to thank you for playing very hard for me. And uh, <laughs> You know, you wouldn't have said that when I was playing for him. (laughs) You know, I I said, Earl, thank you very much, but all I was trying to do is keep you from yelling at me. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, he he was, uh, I think he was mellowing as he got towards later in his life. Um, uh, Another quick story, and this one really threw me. Uh, He died on a cruise, and um, it was an Oriole cruise, and Scott McGregor, the pitcher, was uh, on the cruise with him. Wow. Um, they were sitting next to each other at dinner that night, and Earl turned to Scott, and he says, Earl, uh, he said, Scott, I, I don't feel very well. Um, he said, uh, if I don't feel much better than this, I won't be able to go to spring training in a ceremonial role. You know, that he'd come out and wave to the fans and all that. And um, as he turned to say goodnight to Scotty, uh, he turned to Scotty and said, Scott, um, I want you to do one thing for me. When you see the guys, tell them I love them. And he went upstairs and he passed away. Wow. Um, I know for a fact, Damon, he would have never said that. (laughs) He would have never said that. I think he knew that his time was up. Uh, When Scott McGregor, we were playing golf and Scott told me that story. And I just, I went silent for about, I thought to myself, I knew there was a heart in there somewhere. You know, and I, um, uh, I think that was part of his fairness. He was fair, like I said, but he demanded a lot. I mean, he did not want mistakes. Uh, he didn't. He didn't want outfielders throwing the ball away. Throwing. You see it all the time now. They miss the cutoff man. The runners keep running in advance, and you got by the back to the dugout. You did that, man. He was gonna let you have it. Keep the double play in order so our pitcher can get out of the inning. You know, it was. Pitching defense and three-run homers. That that was his whole gig. That was it. That was the Earl Weaver playbook right yeah. there. 
Ken Singleton, our guest here on New York Axe and mm-hmm. the longtime broadcaster for the New York Yankees, a three-time All-Star, a World Series champion as well. Ken, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. Damon, anytime um, if there's still a million Oral Weaver stories, it's some of them we can't tell. We're going to circle back with you for all those, even the ones you can't tell. <laughs> anytime. Thank you again. This is great. Thank you. Hey, thanks to Ken Singleton for this conversation. That was awesome. I mean, especially the Earl Weaver stories. Those never get old. Those are always amazing. What a character. Hard to imagine that baseball managers could be characters like that anymore. I mean, the guys from the 70s, the 80s, even before, just feel like they're they're dinosaurs. They're from a totally different world. I mean, Earl Weaver yelling at umpires, intimidating his players, ripping them, razzing them, freaking out. That just it wouldn't fly today because all these managers now are more data analytics driven and they're supposed to be composed and cool and fine and nobody's supposed to get upset or angry. And you know, the days of Earl Weaver or Billy Martin or Lou Pinella freaking out and going bonkers just it's not the way anymore. So that was really cool. And Ken Singleton's always just such a great listen. He's a great storyteller. He's a great broadcaster. He's got a great pace. He's got a great voice. He's got great stories. So he always was a welcomed addition to the Yankees broadcast. I thought it was interesting how he mentioned that so many Yankees greats came through and and thought he must have played for the Yankees, which is why he was a broadcaster for them for so long. And we're like, wait a second, you never played here. So what's what's the bit? But you can see how likable Ken is in that relationship with the Steinbrenner family and George specifically made a bond pretty close and Ken's from New York. So he knows what goes on here. He knows how to, how to navigate things. He understands the the context. And so I, I always enjoyed his, his perspectives on, on baseball during his broadcasting days and really cool to get him here on the show. A couple of weeks ago, we had Terry Collins join us and some interesting comments were left on the YouTube page. And I wanted to read one from J Mart who wrote, It's so weird to me that the Mets have Buck Showalter as a manager when Terry Collins is still just as experienced and had more success in this market. He's just sitting there giving interviews like this one. Here's my take. Did the Mets need a young, quiet manager like Rojas? No. Do they need an old manager with experience with his foot towards the door of retirement? No. They need a young, hungry manager with experience. The answer is obvious. Craig Council. Now, whether you like the idea of Craig Council or not, I I said multiple times this this summer, I don't think this is a Buck Showalter problem on this team. And we're starting to get some more evidence of that with the news that, you know, Justin Verlander maybe was at odds with some of the data department or with the the behind the scenes people for the Mets. And you know, maybe things just weren't hunky dory that he was quoted diva or whatnot. And and something clearly was amiss. Max Scherzer with the Mets is not very good. He goes to Texas and he's won his first three starts and threw a one hitter the other night. So I, I think this is really on the players and all of these players being underperforming. And I would not just wave a wand and say if if Buck wasn't there, then these guys would have been performing. I think it does have to fall on players who have had a lot of success before and just didn't do it this year. But I did think that the conversation that we had with Terry Collins a couple of weeks ago here on New York Accent was was really interesting because it showed a manager that really understood what the job was here in New York. And that is 
to navigate the hysteria and the media and the fans by being detail-oriented and by being intense. Terry was never lethargic or apathetic. He was never a softy. But also, you know, get in on guys when they needed it, but also have them understand that you're an ally. And doing so with a little bit of that old-school edge. I think Buck has a little bit of the old-school edge, but he's far more kind of watch and study and assess more than Terry Collins, who was more fiery. And I think that there is a spot in today's New York City baseball market for a manager that is a little bit more fiery. I do think that. And I, and I do think Terry proved his worth in this manner. Now, look, was Terry at the retirement age? I mean, you could certainly argue that. But, you know, Boone has been so passive seemingly and only recently has he gotten really aggressive and arguing things and that's because it feels desperate and for buck again far more analytic and strategic but i i think terry's fire and the, the fact that he still got that juice was was a good reminder that that can still work it's not that long ago that he was a manager here in new york and it sounds like both Buck and Boone will probably save their jobs. Certainly, Buck seems like he's going to come back. I don't know about Boone, but it seems that way if Cashman comes back. But either way, you know, maybe there needs to be uh, some understanding in today's Major League Baseball world that a little bit of grit, a little bit of fire that we used to have for these managers is a good thing. And it shouldn't just be assessing analytics, sitting back, and then kind of watching the data unfold. There's more to that, and that means being a human being and being fiery and being competitive and being a connector and being an emotional stabilizer and all those things that you just can't get from a computer printout. But that conversation with Terry Collins a couple weeks ago was awesome, so you can dot back two episodes and listen to that if you haven't caught it already. Or, as we like to say, all the episodes are available on the WFAN YouTube channel as well. That'll do it for us for this episode of New York Accent. Thanks to executive producer Bryce Gelman. You can always catch me weekday mornings on CBS Sports Radio on the national side of things. But until next week, have a great rest of your week, everybody. This is New York Accent. I am DA Damon Amendolara, and this is an Odyssey original series.